oftentimes when doctors give out prescriptions, they'll tell us not to mix your bottles. And I'm a great one for liking to use my own little bottle that maybe is an aspirin or something, and I'll throw some pills in for the day because then I don't have to go back home and, and take another round of the pills. And it's not too easy, though, that for them to get mixed up. I was listening about a story where a, a man had a terrible headache in his office, and he looked in his drawer, and his ibuprofen bottle was empty. And so he went into his secretary's office and found in the drawer her ibuprofen bottle and popped two pills. And when she got back from lunch, she apologized that he taken it out of her ibuprofen bottle. And he said, but I really feel a lot better. My headache feels good. And she says, oh, that's great. And you probably won't get pregnant either. Well, she was storing her birth control pills in that bottle. And it was surprised that he had his headache relieved. And that's what happens with the cults. What they will do is they will come along and false teachers will come along and they will use the Christian sayings. But what they will do is they will use um, different definitions and make the faith a different faith. For instance, what they will do is make you feel better and feel good and tell you all some good things about, them, about you and about taking care of yourself, but never giving you the Christian gospel in Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter's concern is. Peter, if you remember, he had <clears throat> wrote his first book because his church was being persecuted and he wanted to encourage them. And so he told them about their election, how Christ had forgiven them and he washed them by their blood and that he had made them their children and how he protects them and gave them the victory as they go through those battles. But now Peter is also speaking to them about these false teachers who've crept into the church and are trying to dissuade the church, especially after the persecution has happened. And what is, is that we as Christians know the truth. And as we who know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is going to change our society. And what is happening in our society today, we have a lot of purveyors of false truths out there, or false, how can we say, messages, not truth, but messages that are trying to change and convert you and me away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we find here, there was a, a and Peter, Jesus, Paul, John, they all wrote about these false teachers that creep into the church that push society upon us to try to change our values and our... And we as Christians in the church should be the opposite. We are the ones who should be changing society. We should be turning it upside down with biblical truth. And we should be the ones who are changing it. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, one of the charges that was given to Paul and Jason was that they're turning our world upside down. We are a Christian nation or were a Christian nation. In Western society, all the values that we have, many of them come from the Christian faith that came to America and changed it. Europe was changed. America was changed. And that's why we have such a great society that we live in, because we as Christians know that the Christian history that we had, the early fathers of this country, the pilgrims, brought Christianity and changed the world that this place was. And because of it, it's different today than any place. But the sad part about it is 
people are seeing, and we've seen it over the last 30, genera- 30 years maybe, 40 years, of the slippery slope that Americans been on and morality is going out the window. George Barna did a, or Gallup, Gallup did a poll back in 2018 and he found that people today were saying that 40% of them, or 48% said that our morals are way below the standard they were back in the early part of the century. And that what he said is, is that the moral and ethical roots are gone. That 40% of Americans, 48% of Americans say they're gone. 37% of them say that they're only fair. And only 14% they're good. And we see that every day, don't we? How the morals have changed and how the laxity of self-indulgence and hedonism and people's lifestyles are all about me and taking care of me and not worrying about the next guy. The many anti-Christian leaders that we have today that are socialists, the very philosophies they have in their head are the very things that Venezuela went down the tubes on. We see moral decay in our country. And we see the rejection of God, pushing God out of the equation. And Edward Gibbons wrote the book called The History of the Decline of the Fall of the Roman Empire. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, he listed five things that cause a fall of a culture and of a society. Three of them are already in America. Number one, the breakdown of the family. Number two, the insatiable craving for pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, but when pleasure becomes ahead of church, becomes ahead of God, becomes ahead of all the values that we live, then we've got a problem, and that's what's causing this demise of our culture. And the third thing, he said, which is the decay of religion. The religious faith is now dwindling in our society today. We don't need God because we have all these wonderful things and pleasures. George Washington said it first, He said, of all the dispositions and habits which uh, lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Without them, we can expect national morality to go down the tubes. Again, we hear Ronald Reagan, what he said, Without God, there is no virtue because there is no prompting of the conscience. And without God, democracy will not and cannot endure. If we ever forget that we are a nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And he's right. And what we find here is Peter is speaking. And he says, so there are these counterfeits. Not only in the church, but in our society that are promoting godless society. And pushing God out and destroying America from within, destroying the church within. He says they revile even the most sacred things, and you see it. And especially those who indulge in the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile even angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are great in might and power, do not bring reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. And Peter is saying destruction awaits them. 
that we have a society right now that is daring to take all the values that God has played out and push them to a side, push God aside and being proud of what they believe and to tear down our society in which they believe that they can build their society better without God. And it's all around the flesh. It's all around their, their, their desire to be covetous of each other. And man's fallen nature of pride, which brought sin to the world, is the same thing that is causing our society to implode. Khrushchev said it so well. He said, we're not going to beat the Americans by coming on face with them and fighting them. No, they're going to implode on themselves. And it's happening today, folks. That's what scares me today. We're seeing man's fallen nature come out and open up. One of the saddest things, and I don't know where you stand, but I know this truth to be, that we are in a society right now, there's a four-court press to push God and his values out of our society. I was reading the other day, Kellogg's cereal has now come out with a new brand to push the gay agenda with Fruit Loops. They are now pushing a brand that is saying it's okay to find into that lifestyle. We're seeing children's games. We're seeing children's stories for the LGBT group to relaunch the Rugrats where there is a Betty, the mother who's a single lesbian, and then also to bring in others, trans and pans, and all kinds of people to let our world see. All this that the Bible says is sin. And then, not only that, but then we also hear of songs that are being implemented into our society to say that it's all right for our kids and for us to live in that lifestyle. When the Bible says it's wrong. And also the San Francisco Giants baseball team wearing their gay pride uniforms during this month to promote this lifestyle that God says is wrong. And you can say with the world, and the world says, the Bible's wrong. No, the Bible's not wrong. And we find people in the church who say, well, that's not really true. That part of the Bible is Old Testament. We lock it. No, the Bible all through says that is wrong. Jesus even speaks to it. We find the world who says to us, that as long as it's a monogamous relationship, it doesn't matter what kind or gender. That's wrong, the Bible says. And then we hear our culture who doesn't want to celebrate the joy of the beauty of sex that God has given. Rather, they're pushing it aside as boring. And in our Western culture, we're seeing it break. And what happens is you get considered as a bigot or unloving or non-caring. My wife and I had to make a decision over a wedding that we were invited to. We love these girls, but they're wrong and they're going down the wrong path. And I want them to, to know that. But I know when we have that discussion and we have that conversation, they're going to think that I hate them and that I'm a homophobe. That's the reality that we're living in. 
We as Christians, even though we love them more than they love themselves and we want to see them in eternity with Christ and in heaven, they don't see it that way. And our society is abandoned. The sanctity of life. Oh, I, I, I encouraged the priest that I saw the other day and I'm surprised that he might still be a priest by now because he called out the Pope because of Joe Biden and Mario Como and their strong Catholic beliefs and them affirming the most unbelievable forms of abortion. What are we saying here? And it's sin. It's wrong. And I see my grandchildren and my children whom I love dearly, but I can see them with their friends and, and, and the kids that they hang out with and they're not as strong as dad is. In fact, they think dad might need to be locked away for a while because of the way they see their friends. And Dave, dad, aren't you being judgmental? We'll talk about that in a minute. You see, here he says, even the angels, they're willing to revile angel majesties. They're willing to revile even what God's word has to say on these things. And they revel in them. The excitement. Brute beast, the Bible says. I had a man come out of church this, after, this morning in the first service and talk to me about his brokenness. How two of his grandsons came out and said their bye and made the announcement to the family very proudly. And he's worried about their souls. And they revel in it. Look what Peter says. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. There's a judgment here. They don't get it. Last week we talked about how the angels were judged by God. How Sodom and Gomorrah was judged by God. The world was judged by the flood of Noah. It's going to happen. And we need to warn these beautiful people that we love. The wrongness of it. They count ple it pleasure to revel in the daytime. And they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease for sin. There are people in the church who believe these things. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart trained in greed and accursed children. They don't hear this part of Peter. Oh, that's a negative part of the Bible. We better eliminate that. You know, that's where some people are today. You know, we have pastors who just want to talk about the good things and how to pick yourself up and feel good and how everything. Those are nice things and, and God does help us with that. But we have to look at these things too. And they're heartbreakers. And these aren't just earth breakers. These are eternity breakers. They're living in their lives and they're heading for destruction, the scriptures say. In Ephesians Jesus talks about his bride that is holy and pure, without blemish. And people need to be washed by the blood of Christ and changed. And instead, they're making rioting and reveling and sport of their sensual reveling. It's so great. Let's have the big parade. And they have no idea of the conscious defilement 
that they're making before God. They're satisfying their lust. And they're trying to bring along converts to their way of thinking that it's okay the way we live and the way loosely we live. And it doesn't matter if you're pan or bi or whatever. Just as long as we have fun and it feels good. That's what false teaching does. And it's destroying our society. And they say, oh, you're going to be fulfilled. There's a dead end to that. That fulfillment not last forever that the Bible speaks about. That joy will not be forever that the Bible speaks about. Yes, the Bible says sin is pleasurable. It says the passing pleasures of sin. Yes, sin is very pleasurable. No matter if you're, whatever you're doing that, that, that is sinful, adultery, all this kind of stuff, if that is pleasurable for a season, the Bible says, but the end is destruction, the Bible says. And Peter speaks to this. We have people who are, are living unstable lives and their souls are in pearl. And the sad part is when you hear, when I hear, when I go to a call and a young person who's made themselves or believes they're bi or whatever and they commit suicide, they're so broken inside. They need Jesus. That's what they need. And you see, these wolves have crept into our society and they're making it seem so good. But they're ungodly. They're worldly. They're devoid of their truth. And it's blinding them. And then Peter also, he talks about this full of adultery, never ceasing from sin, enticing unstable. And we have people who are unstable and fearful and desire to honor God. And they're being sucked in. I can remember several years ago, a young gal, she went on the Christian date site because she hadn't, couldn't find a good Christian guy. She goes on the Christian date site and she thinks she finds this guy. He checked all the boxes. And she started dating him. And then he started coming over her house. And then all of a sudden one day she gets contacted by a person who heard about this. And said, did you know that he's married? He was married with three kids. And he had no idea, no, told her that she had a wife and three kids. And that he was not thinking about getting divorced. You see, this is the evil. But he knew that she was a good woman. And she'd be faithful to him. And he could keep this thing going on on the side while he had a family and wife over here. Because she was a good woman too. And he was using him. You see, and, and, and these, some of these wonderful preachers that we have on TV, not all of them are bad, but some of them do it for greed. They need them more money, and they need you to send them more money, and they live in several different houses that are mansions. Charles Spurgeon was an 1800s preacher. Now, we're going way back here. 
200 years. And P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey Circus contacted him and said to Spurgeon, I hear you've got a pretty good message. Because he was preaching in the tabernacle in London where 5,000 people would come to hear him preach. He was a phenomenon of that day. And people would come from all over to hear him. (laughs) And P.T. Barnum wanted him to join with the Barnum and Bailey Circus and said, I could pay you ten times what you make at that church. And P.T. Barnum sent him a message. And it was a word in three digits. And it was Acts chapter 8, verse 20. And it said, I would have liked... Uh, he, he says, I would have liked to have been seeing his face because may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. He totally rejected P.T. Barnum because he knew that it wasn't the money. He did it because he loved the Lord and he wasn't going to make it a freak show but rather the truth of the gospel was being proclaimed by Spurgeon. And you see, this is where the revolt comes in. Because what happens is that sometimes you run into teachers who will not obey. Just like us, sometimes we hear the word of God and we don't obey. And Peter uses Balaam, who was a prophet of God, who had a king that was a pagan god who offered Balaam the amount of money, great amount of money, to be able to tell Israel and curse Israel. And Balaam went to God and God told him, no, I've blessed Israel and I'm going to bless Israel. But what Balaam did is he disobeyed God because instead he was on his way to tell Israel that they were not blessed by God. He was disobeying for the money. And on his way there, God sent a jackass, a literal donkey, and got in the way of Balaam so he could not go down the road and even sat on him. And Balaam got really mad with his donkey and whipped it and kicked it And it spoke to him and said, no, you're not to go. (laughs) He didn't realize that that jackass had saved his life. Because on the other side of that animal was God's messenger of an angel with a sword that was going to cut him up. And instead, God used the donkey to save his life. And you see, that's what God does. But you see, even people like Balaam, who for the price would sell out his own people and do wrong in God's eyes. It's kind of funny. They did a survey in the magazine and they asked people, what would you do for $10 million? 25% of the families said, that the person would say they would abandon their family for $10 million. 
Another 25% said they would go into prostitution for a week. 7% said they would kill somebody. That means 70 people out of 1,000 said that they would kill somebody for $10 million. You see, it was the price. Everybody has their price, sometimes we say. And Balaam had his price. Today, the word of God is speaking to us, what's your price? Are you willing to stand no matter what the price is for God? Are you willing to stand up against society that's gone haywire and still tell them the truth? Stand tall and proud for God. Or are you going to grab at those little pieces of greed? You know how they catch monkeys in Africa? <laughs> they take a gore and they cut it open and they put it in the ground and bury it. And then they put raisins and nuts and all kinds of fruit inside. And then when the monkey goes by, he reaches in the gore and gets a handful. And as he goes to pull his hand out, he can't pull his hand out. And he can't get free because he's got what he wants. And he doesn't realize that he's captured himself. And they won't let go of what they have. And then the people who are hunting them come along and they find them and they kill them and take them and eat them. And that's how they catch their monkeys. And you see, this is what happens in our world. Sometimes we'll grab at the things we know we shouldn't have and God says, don't do it. But we see what we want and we want to grab it. And we can't let go. And it traps us. And it holds us down and keeps us in its grip. I can tell you of a guy who came to my office one time and he was having an affair. And I said, you've got to stop that. You know that's wrong in God's eyes. And he said, yeah, but it's like kryptonite. Get out of here. Don't even give me that bull kryptonite. sin. It's displeasing to God. It's wrong. It's the sin of Balaam. Selling yourself out for that little pottage. Ridiculous. It's like the bank officer who was going through with a, a new junior clerk. And he said to him, hey, you want to cook the books with me for $50,000? And I said, sure, let's do it. He said, how about 100? He says, what kind of a guy do you think I am? He said, you already established that. You're just negotiating the price. And that's what the problem is. Doesn't matter what we're offered. No matter what it is, that we're going to follow Christ. And we're going to live and stand up to these wrongs in our society. And let me tell you, it's not for cowards. It's not easy. Because our world is being pushed into this. And it's amazing how sad we're just letting it go. We're not stopping it. And you know as well as I do. 
You see, Job had it right. He says, but he who knows the way that I take. And when he tests me, this is our test for us. Our generation is being tested royally in the moral values right now. And we want to be like Job says, and I will come forth as gold. God is sifting us. And we need to stand. We need real men and women of God who are going to stand for what they believe. And I know you're going to get it like I do. What's the number one verse that people know besides John 3.16? Matthew 7.1. Judge not that you be not judged. Whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. What is Jesus saying there? He says, don't hate those people and want to send them to hell. Take the log out of your own eye. Yeah, Jesus, that's right. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Because if you read the whole passage, Jesus says, judge not, don't be critical of people and putting them down and all that, but... Give not to holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls in front of pigs. Lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. And they eat you. And what Jesus is saying, we need to be discerning. And we need to tell and warn these folks of the impending judgment that awaits. If we really love them. And Jesus is saying, you need discernment here because it's not easy and we're not hateful in our judgment. We love these people, but we also want them to know and understand the truth so it doesn't tear them apart and change them eternity from God. And so Jesus gives us the answer. And that we are to be critical in our evaluation and loving people to the truth. I'm telling you, you know it as well as I do. When you see danger, don't you warn your friends and your loved ones? About a year and a half ago, Sandy and I were over at Evita having a pizza at a Vita restaurant over here in New Market Square. And when we came out, or no, we were going in, and there was a nice couple coming out with a little boy about this high, just about the height of a bumper. And he saw his dad across the parking lot, and he begins running full blast, and here's the edge of this car. He's in between two cars and he's running and there is this car coming and it is not stopping and it's going fast. And I let out the scream, stop! And that kid, thank the Lord, he went, stopped and that car went whizzing right by. It could have killed him. And later on I found out that was Pastor Bob at Central Community's grandson, 
who was running and could have been killed. And you see, this is the warning that we give to our friends and loved ones that we want to help them to overcome and not wind up in the hands of the wrath of God at the end of their lives. It's a challenge, my friends. It's tough. It ain't for cowards, but it's for people of faith who love God and love people. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you with heavy hearts today. We are being challenged by your word and by Peter. We see the effects that false prophecy and false teachers have had on the church. And, and, and it's caused this tsunami of filth in our society. We need you, Jesus. We need you to raise up believers in government. We need believers, strong believers in the church who will stand in their neighborhoods and in their communities for the righteousness of God and for the souls of men and women who are locked in this stuff. Give us the strength we need, Jesus. Give us the courage to walk boldly in our world. And it's through you, Jesus, we can only pray this. Amen. At this time, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, knowing that God has forgiven us and that we can live that life. The Bible tells us when we take this communion, it's remembering what Jesus did to wash away our sins. It's also a time of consecration for us to give ourselves and renew to Jesus. And thirdly, it's a reminder that we have a hope in heaven waiting for us in the body of Jesus Christ. of our brokenness before Christ and how he heals us by his wounds. Amen. In like manner, Jesus also took the cup. And when they supped it, he said, this is the new covenant that I've made with you, that as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, I will forgive you the blood of Jesus Christ that washes our sin away.
blood of Jesus Christ that washes all our sins. Lord, we're so grateful that because of your blood on the cross and that you've touched our hearts and washed them clean with your blood by trusting in you, Jesus, that we are washed clean and we're saved. We give you praise and glory and honor for being such an awesome God. We so don't deserve it, but out of your love, you did this for us, and we give you praise. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the benediction and our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.